be out of 1 Timothy chapter 5. It's kind of long, verses 1 through 2. So bear with me. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, all in purity. Thank you all for singing. Praise team, appreciate you putting that together. I love it. We're going to sing that song again before this day's over with, so that's a good one. I like that one. Singing is getting us ready for trials and temptations and getting us ready for the work week, getting ready for death. That's what we're doing here. Trying to get you, we're trying to get everybody ready to die, see? Ready to see the Lord, ready to end well and persevere. And um, Music helps us in that regard. A couple of things this week. Um, you know, part of what we do as a church is we, we, we rejoice with those who rejoice. And we have some reasons to rejoice this week, don't we? Um, got a new grandbaby, Jamie and Rhonda, or uh, Mimo and Pepal, three times over. Elijah James was uh, born to Jacob and Cassidy, and uh, everything is good so far, right? It is me, Mom, and Peepaw, right? <laughs> Gran granny, yeah, Granny. Um, now, everything's great with baby and mama, and so we're so thankful. And we rejoice, don't we? Uh, another, uh, it's been mentioned already, I think, Caleb and Elise, they were, uh, got engaged this weekend. Um, so they'll be married before too long, so we're excited. We rejoice, don't we, with them. Uh, we're excited for them, and uh, that's what we do. We rejoice with them. Uh, but also, we do we mourn with one another, too, don't we? We have struggles at time, and, and life, um, we go through dark valleys. So Steve Brown lost his mother uh, this week, and so we mourn with him. And the final arrangements will be made today, but it looks like October 7th. This is a week from Saturday. Uh, we'll have the service here We'll feed the family afterwards. That's not in stone, but that's what we're thinking right now. So uh, we want to be in prayer for Steve and, and uh, the Brown family and look forward to that, being able to celebrate, but uh, be able to share the gospel and love on that family in a special way on October 7th. But we'll let you know uh, today, later in the day, probably about that. Okay. We've got a, an outline of where we are in 1 Timothy, so we'll turn there if you would to the text that Jake read for us so eloquently. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. This is kind of where we are. We gave this outline. I'm just a big outline person. I like it. I think it's helpful for us. And we're uh, in the middle of this uh, four section, uh, administration of the church. So that's where we are in chapter 5. And uh, before we get started, we're going to ask our little ones, if they'd like to go to children's church, to line up at the door. This is second grade and under. Second grade and under. Line up here at the door. I'm going to go to Children's Church. Got a good group today. Appreciate y'all helping out, teaching them today. So, it's, um, this is, we, we say this a lot. This is worship that we're having, it's worship day and we have worship. Uh, 
and we come and we here we we gather together. Uh, some folks get here about eight eight fifteen, and we spend time together till nine fifteen. And other people arrive, and we have fellowship. We eat donuts and drink coffee, and we catch up on the. Um, how it goes, and I'd, I'd try to get a hold of Jerry, and then he tried to get a hold of me, and then so we catch up on that. Hey, what'd you want, and what'd you want, and I'm sorry I missed you, and all that, and we just talk about that, and we just, how, how's how's the week been? Um, how's that situation going with so-and-so? How's work, and all those things, and so we do that. We have a little fellowship time, and we do small groups on Sunday morning with Sunday school classes, 9.30 to 10.30, and then we come in here for worship, and some people are coming from the FLC and the children's wing in the back, and some people are showing up just for worship, and that's all good. But this is just a part of what we do, and it's an important part of what we do because we're singing truth. That music was great. All those songs, we're singing truth. And Lord willing, I'll get a text. Now, I do this from time to time where your little ones, they say, yeah, my little one was walking through the house singing this song. And that's what we want to do, sing these songs that are they're the true songs, but also songs that are, that are catchy and songs that we, we, our children are singing. And we're singing on the way to work, right? But this is a time now that we study the Word together. And it's really, really important. We divide the Word, we, we teach the Word, and we talk about application, and we ask the Lord for grace to go out and apply it to our lives. That's important. But, but also, no, this is just a, a part of what we do. You know, we've got ministry going on all during the week. Wednesday night, we do a, a discipleship. For the, for the kids, for the students, for the adults. This is a small part of what we do. But it is good to, to sit under the teaching of the Word. And we've been challenged. I've been challenged. As I studied through First Timothy, and I've testimonies, people share this with me, that you've been challenged as well uh, by the study of First Timothy. And, and here's just a, a recap, some of the things that's, that's challenged us maybe. We found out that we're supposed to pray for those in authority over us. And we've been convicted, haven't we? We don't pray enough for our government officials, for our local officials, for those on the state level and the government, uh, the, the federal government. And so this, sun, uh, this Wednesday, we're going to have a time where the students and the adults, the children will have their regular classes after dinner. But after the adults eat, we'll all get together um, in here and we'll just have some prayer time. And we're going to pray for those in, our, in authority over us. But we were convicted. The scriptures rubbed us. It's a little abrasive, but we needed to be reminded that, hey, we need to be a church of prayer. Some of us found out that we don't meet the qualifications of a pastor or a deacon. And so I had conversations with everybody about that. But that's okay because mo majority of you, most of you, you don't aspire to be a, a pastor or a deacon anyway. But the thought came up, well, well, shouldn't we all aspire to meet those qualifications just as Christian brothers and sisters? Like, yeah, we really should. And so we were rubbed the wrong way there, too. Brought in conviction. Hey, I need to grow in this area in my walk with the Lord. And we were all humbled to see Paul exhorting Timothy to train himself for godliness. And you, you're not, most of you aren't pastors or even small group leaders. But you know that that's your responsibility also. Myself, as a Christian, no matter what your position is, no matter how old you are, if you're a Christian, you should be training yourselves for godliness. And so there's conviction. I've been a little lazy. I've been a little apathetic. I've been kind of in cruise control. I've been coasting a little bit in my walk. I really hadn't been getting after it, trying to grow in the Lord, lacking in the spiritual discipline. So that's good. The, the Word has rubbed us the wrong way, showed us our sin. That's a good thing. In chapter 4, verse 11, Timothy was told by Paul to set an example to the flock. 
in the way he talks, in the way he behaves, in the way he loves, in the way he trusts God, in his purity, holiness. Yeah, we were convicted, weren't we? Some of us were convicted about that. I'm not setting an example in my home. I'm not setting an example at my church, let alone my workplace and school. So there's conviction, and so that's good. Again, in chapter 4, verse 15, Timothy is to show his progress, his growth. And again, we're told elsewhere in the Scriptures, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5 through 8, Peter writes, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. This, this, this picture, this idea of just growing, right, in all these things. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and, or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a, yeah, we, we need to be growing. We need to be showing our progress. Other people say, yeah, that's so-and-so. He's really growing in the Lord, in his knowledge of the Scriptures, but also in his conduct and his way of thinking. So the Bible's been doing its job. And we're better for it. And this idea of, of setting an example, set the believers an example in, in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And that just sets us up for our text today. If we're a good example, then we can more easily correct or rebuke a person. If you're living it out, if you're wrestling, seeking to be godly, people are more willing to receive a rebuke from you. I think. Paul, he had set an example. This is, he, remember where we are in context. Paul has left Timothy in Ephesus and he's gone on to Macedonia. But Paul spent several years in Ephesus in Acts 20, verse 26 and 27. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you. This is the last time Paul meets with the Ephesian elders, the pastors there. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. You can just imagine Paul. He was rebuking and correcting those Ephesian believers for those several years. He did that often. And correcting false thinking, correcting false doctrine, correcting wrong behavior is, the, is just part of the responsibilities of a, of a pastor. So Timothy is leading this effort there in Ephesus. He's the pastor of correction. He's the pastor of rebuke. If you look at uh, churches that are these large churches, and they might have 15, 20 pastors, they all have very distinct, uh, re specific responsibilities. You know, they're the pastor of discipleship. They're the pastor of evangelism. They're the pastor of counseling. They're the pastor of outreach. You know, all these different things. Well, Timothy here, he's the pastor of correction. He's a pastor of rebuke. So our first point here from verses 1 and 2 is when correcting those in your congregation, treat them like family. Now, some of you, and I say that, and you read that on the screen, and some of you are thinking, you don't want me to treat everybody like we treated our, everybody in our family, right? Some of you learn how to cuss and fight and drug all at home. I get that. There's some of you that grew up in dysfunctional homes, and only recently have you learned that all that dysfunction isn't the norm for Christians, I get it. But Paul is addressing Timothy and telling him to treat those in Ephesus like family members. But we treat each of our family members differently, don't we? 
We don't treat our children like we treat our wives. We don't treat our wives like we treat our parents. We treat them a little differently. Especially here in the South, right? In our families, we treat one another uh, distinctly. When, when I was overseas, uh, Jenny and I, we were the, uh, the lone Southerners on our team. And, and the people that were a part of our team were dear friends of ours. In fact, we did small group together in Louisville. But they were from all, part, all different parts of the country. Some from upstate New York, Wisconsin, Colorado. We had a Navy brat in the, in the mix. He grew up all over the world. But we're the lone Southerners. And so our children, we had children first. And so um, when they began to have children... They begin to ask, well, how are we going to do this? You know, the kids became toddlers. Are, are we going to teach our kids to say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am, Mr. and Mrs.? I said, well, I don't, I don't know about you, but my kids are going to. Amen. Because it's culturally, that's just part of our culture, and for us not to do that is, is, may seem disrespectful. And so we just tried to figure that out. And we had a team that joined us, and their children were a little bit younger than ours. But uh, the, the child, one, one child in particular, her, her name is Savannah, really sweet kids, she would say, she would call out to me, and, and, and she would say, Shane, Shane. And so I deliberately wouldn't, wouldn't acknowledge her. Because to me, it was, just, it was just like, for a child, you know, a wee one, to call you your first name was just taboo, right, in our culture. And so we kind of came together and we said, well, how are we going to handle this? Because we're a team and we're, we depended on each other for everything. And we became so close. And these people are, are, are some of our dearest friends in the world. I just love them so much. And so we, we kind of talked about that. And so we came up with this plan. All our kids, they're going to call aunt and uncle. So I was Uncle Shane and, and Aunt Jenny. And you had Uncle Dave and Aunt Kelly and Uncle Jamie and Aunt Michelle. And that's how we handled that. And it wasn't that they were being disrespectful or being sinful at all. It was just our cultures are different. But we, just treat, but we do treat one another and our families a little differently. And how we correct one another in our families or in the family of God is also different. How we handle those situations. So that's what we're being um, commanded to do here in our text today. How do we treat our fathers? We treat them like older men and and. And the, the older women, we treat them like mothers, right? We treat the older women like men like fathers. And, and younger men, we treat them like brothers. And younger women, we treat them like sisters. Let me ask you a question. If, what, are, what are a couple of things that will disqualify a pastor? Or... What are some attitudes or actions that will derail a pastor's ministry? Think about that for a second. And they're, they're, the list could be really long, right? What are some key things that come to your mind that would derail a pastor's ministry or disqualify him from ministry? Two of the main ones are pride, arrogance, and impurity. In regard to sexual immorality. Right? So the second point today in our, from our text is pride can derail your ministry, so be humble in your dealings with your church. Notice it says, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Now, 
don't rebuke an older man, we don't just stop there. That doesn't mean that we're not to correct people. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty much a spring chicken. I mean, I just turned 50, and I'm young, right? But how do I address some of you in the congregation that's, that's older than I am? Just because you're older than me and I'm, your, I'm the shepherd, does that mean that I, well, I can't really correct them because they're older than me? No. No, that's my job is to point out and to rebuke and correct. Right? But we do that how? He says, but encourage him as you would a father. But I think that the number one thing that will get you dismissed from ministry or disqualify you is just to be prideful, to be a jerk, to be a know-it-all. We're not to lord it over our church family. I mean, think about it. You've got a pastor that has a Napoleon complex. I'm kind of little. You know, I'm not really big in stature. Overseas, I was kind of a big dude. Everybody thought that I was kind of big and strong and all this kind of stuff. You know, like, yeah, that's not, the, that's not really the case back in America, right? I've always been little, kind of wormy, you know, kind of little. Um, but, but, you know, and, and you can't have small people. They have this Napoleon complex, you know, um, but an egotistical, an untactful person, a selfish, egotistical person, shouldn't be leading a church. And we all have our faults. And we all have struggles, right? And I have my struggles with pride. Ask my wife. She can tell you four or five times where I've messed up in 20 years of marriage. I'm just kidding, right? I'm kidding. Um, yeah, we all blow it. We all have clay feet, including the pastor, right? But that shouldn't be your, your habit. It's being a jerk face and being a know-it-all and being prideful and arrogant. We had some trouble with a, a church van a few years ago, and we'd spent some money trying to get the air conditioner fixed. Like, we, we all need air conditioners in our vans, right? And uh, we got to thinking about it. It's like, you know, we got 85,000 miles in this van, and... We had two of them. Like maybe we ought to get us a newer van, and um, and it just so happened that week I got a call from a construction worker who said, "Hey, have y'all ever interested in selling one of those vans? I need one for my work." And so we brought that up to the church council to see if that's something we could bring before the church. Hey, is this something maybe that we should do? And my thinking is like, well, we're fixing to start having to put a lot of money in this van, and we need maybe a newer one we could rely on a little better, and maybe that's something we ought to do. Plus, we got this guy that's wanting to buy one of them. Hey, seems like God's timing, right? And so I go to the church council um, and talk with them, and because they uh, think I'm real smart and they want to make me happy, they totally disagreed with me. And in fact, they said it'd be cheaper just to rent a van if we're going on long trips. We don't do that but once or twice a year. So how about we just rent vans and we could use ours here locally? And at first, I didn't think that was a very good idea. But, you know, the more I got to think about it, I was like, hey, there's victory in, in uh, numerous counselors, right? And so that was true there. I was like, yeah, you know what? In the end, I thought, yeah, that's real. That's wise. That's a better use of our money is just once or twice a year rent vans as opposed to having a note, right, for a, for a newer van that's going to most of the time sit under the carport. Even after um, our mission trip this, this summer, we broke down on the interstate. It was pretty crazy. We talked about this a little bit, but we're on like a bridge, right? And I'm in front and the van in front, and I look back and I don't see the van anywhere. 
and Morgan's driving the other van that's right behind me. And so I get a call and like, hey, we had something wrong with the van. We're in the middle of the interstate and we're blocking traffic. We don't know what to do, da, 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 da. And I said, okay. So I, I see an exit. I said, let me turn around. So by the time I turn around and have to go back down and, and get off the other exit and come back, I mean, there's miles that traffic is blocked because the Beaver Baptist van is on the bridge. And on the back tire, the axle had come out about two foot. Yeah, it was kind of, kind of crazy. Never seen anything like that. But God's grace, Morgan was able to stop the van, and we stopped right on the, right on the bridge. And so we just got traffic blocked. And so I just get on the shoulder, you know, and drive that mile and a half, two miles up to the van. By the end, the state troopers there, and we get it all worked out. But some of the students, you can imagine, they're like, huh, I bet we get a newer van out of this deal. And at the moment, you know, at first you're like, yeah, maybe we, maybe we need to, you know. But, but even after that incident, after we, we, we even talked about processing it, Morgan and I were processing that as they, we got everybody, it was, it was about time for lunch. We got everybody situated at a, a place to eat, and we're dealing with the tow truck and all that. And even he and I, as we were just talking about that, and you kind of conclude, no, that's still, man, there's wisdom in that council. Yeah, we don't need a newer van. We need what I should have done is rented a van this time instead of driving our older vans, right? So I'm telling that story um, to tell you a pastor doesn't always get his way, and he shouldn't always get his way because sometimes he doesn't make wise decisions. But you lean on other wiser people, right, to help you with that. It doesn't mean that the pastor doesn't lose his cool and 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 get in the flesh at times, because I do. But that can't be his habit. He can't, every time things don't go his way, get, get, the ball, get his ball and, and take it and go home kind of attitude. His life and character can't be described as arrogant. He can't be so prideful to think he's always right. I mean, think about how do narcissistic and arrogant people correct others? And that's what the text is dealing with today. How does a, someone who's full of himself, who thinks he's always right, how does he correct people? Yeah, harshly, right? Arrogantly. And so that's what Paul's teaching Timothy not to do here in chapter 5. Don't rebuke an older man. The word there that's translated rebuke is also understood as don't chastise or don't sharply rebuke an older man. Don't run roughshod over people. Don't let the hulk, right, come out of you in anger when you're trying to correct somebody. No, but you do it gently, respectfully. Paul wants Timothy to correct older men gently, wisely, humbly, graciously. The idea is that the, the picture is here is just walking alongside with somebody, pointing those things out in a humble way. For an older man, you don't rebuke him from a posture of superiority or even of equality. No, as, as you, someone older than you, what do you do? You respectfully point those things out. And, and that's kind of hard to do, to be honest with you. It's hard to do, right? For me to point out to Mr. Perry Lane something in his life, it's hard to do. For me to point out things in Mr. Mickey's life, that's difficult to do, but we're called to do it. You just have to do it in a way that honors the Lord, a way that's palpable, where they can receive it. For Mr. Bobby, me to be able to point that out, I need to do it in a way that's respectful. 
Yeah. Treat older men like you would your father or grandfather. Your tone should be gentle. What about, what about women? Correct older ladies like you would your mom. It's interesting how quickly we get upset talking about mamas. Don't talk about my mama, right? Um, yeah, we... But there are times where older ladies in the church need to be corrected. So when you do so, you do it tactfully. Romans 16, 13, this Paul writing to the church in Rome. Greet Rufus. Now, I like the name, Jamie, Rhonda, I like the name that Jacob and Cassidy picked out, but Rufus would have been better. Rufus. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord. Also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. That's sweet. Now, Paul had to correct Rufus's mother, who's been like a mother figure to him. How should he do it? He should do it in a gentle, respectful way. My kids, they, they think a lot of my mother. Nana is what they call her, right? She's the one who, who helps cook on... Wednesday night, and she's a sweet woman. Never in my life have I heard her say a bad thing about anybody. Never in my days, 50 years, have I ever say, heard her say negative things about somebody. Yeah, she's a great, great lady. My kids think well of her. They think highly of her. So there's times where my kids are acting a certain way or, or talking a certain way that, that I think is not in a way that pleases the Lord, and I would just ask, hey, would you talk to Nana like that? Would you say that to Nana? And they're like, well, no, of course not, Dad. Yeah, well, why would you say that to this other person, right? Yeah, how would you talk to older women that you respect? You, you speak respectfully, humbly, gently. Yeah. Treat younger men as brothers. And now I know some of you are thinking, I hope nobody treats you like my brother treated me, Right? 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 through 3. This is a great text. I think it's really helpful. It goes right along with what we're talking about. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. This is Peter giving instruction to the, to the churches. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. He's writing this to the, the pastors, the leaders of the church. Exercising oversight not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge. That's real important. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Great commentary, I think, on our text today, Peter and Paul. Not domineering over those in your charge. Treat folks your age... Treat folks younger than you with equality. Don't lord it over them. Don't use your authority in the church, right, as an excuse to run roughshod over people. And, and you know, as pastors or, or, or any position of authority, just think about your workplace. And you have some people that do really, really well. Steve, you have somebody that, that works. They do a really, really good job. They're a good worker, hard worker easy to work with, but then you give some people, not all, but you give some people some authority. Make them supervisor or like in a pastor, you give them a, a position of authority of pastor or leader of some sort. And then sometimes that just goes terribly, doesn't it? 
they're, they're a really good worker, but you give them some authority and all of a sudden their sinful nature comes out. Their default mode is, no, they want to lord it over people. Right? They're arrogant and they're terrible leaders. That happens sometimes. That happens in the church. And so Paul is telling Timothy, correct, but do so humbly. And you think a, a pastor, this pulpit can be, it, it's powerful. There's a lot of authority that comes from being behind the pulpit as a teacher of the Word of God. But some people use this in the wrong way, don't they, Jerry? Sometimes we have folks that somebody in the church don't agree with them, they start calling them out. And they'll call them by name from the pulpit, right? Use kind of bully tactics. We have to be real careful. Not misuse the position of authority to our advantage. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. This is another great commentary on our on our passage today. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, that's what we're talking about, correcting people. How many of you don't need to be corrected? Anybody don't need to be corrected? Say, I'm above, I, I, I live a life, I don't need to be corrected. No, we all need to be corrected, right? If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Keep watching, but watch out, or you too may be tempted. Tempted to do what? To be a, a jerk face, right? To be arrogant and run roughshod over people. And to not handle your authority well. So let's, thoughts on correcting others. Let's talk about that just for a second. A couple things I want to mention. When you're correcting someone, be as private as the wrong. Okay, if it's a private matter between two people, don't correct that person in public, in front of others. You don't take somebody with you. No, you first go one and one and correct that person privately. Matthew 18, 15 through 17 gives us the order. First, a private conversation needs to take place, right? Then secondly, you take one person with you. And then thirdly, you bring it before the church. But first, we have to have this private, especially if the wrong's been done in private. Now, there are times where we need to rebuke someone publicly. We see that in Galatians chapter 2. Paul confronted Peter. He, he, can, he confronted him in the presence of all because Peter had sinned publicly. He needed to be rebuked publicly. So be as private as the wrong. Second thing is not everybody will receive correction. Not everybody wants to be corrected. We might say here as a congregation, hey, how many people need to be corrected? We all raise our hands. Amen, brother. But when the rubber meets the road, we don't like it. And, of course, no one does. We want to be told we're right. We don't want to be told we're wrong. I mean, that's part of the problem in marriages, right? We, we both have pride issues, and we don't want to be corrected. That's a big problem in marriage, right? It's a problem in mine, problem in yours, too. We want to be right. We don't want to be wrong. Elise, you want to be right? Don't get married. You get married, you're going to be wrong. You're going to be wrong a lot more, right? Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Not everybody wants to be corrected, and not everybody will receive it. And sometimes it goes wrongly and badly. Even if you do everything you can to do, handle it like you should, sometimes it just doesn't go well. 
Stephen Cole, he tells a joke about a Russian who attempted to correct some communists during the Cold War era. Boris the Russian, he arrived at the pearly gates and was welcomed by St. Peter. St. Peter started showing him around. said, you can go anywhere you want to here in glory, but you can't get on the pink clouds. Why can't I go on pink clouds, Boris said. Because, Peter replied, the pink clouds are reserved for those who did something great. But I've done something great. What did you do that was so great, Peter asked Boris. Boris said, I made a speech at the Kremlin confronting the government and all its corrupt leaders. Really, Peter said. He's kind of surprised. When did that happen? Boris said, about two minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, not everybody wants to receive correction, right? Yeah, not everybody's going to receive your rebuke. But we have to give those anyway, right? And sometimes we have to give those things. And this is really true in marriage. I'll tell you, when you're having a bad time, just have that bad day and let's start a new one the next day, maybe. Because when things hit the fan, it's probably not a good time to bring up all your spouse's faults. Maybe point those things out when you're having a good day. But this is the problem. Sometimes we point things out. We want immediate, immediate action. And I don't know about you, I'm a little pig-headed, and I'm a little prideful. And when Jenny tells me I'm wrong, it's happened three or four times in our marriage, I don't, I don't necessarily swallow that and say, baby, you're exactly right, and I'm so sorry. But what does happen is she shares that with me in a sweet way, and I might get defensive and tell her why I'm not wrong and right, but then after a little while, what happens? Yeah, have a, have a quiet time or two, and a, the Lord will put us in a full Nelson, right? And then and we brings about conviction in it. And so sometimes when we're given correction, give the correction in a sweet way and let it lay there. Just give it and let it lay there and let the Spirit of God do His work, especially if you're married to a Christian. Now, if you're married to a lost person, you might not see the, you might not see the result as quickly or ever. But as, that's a great thing about marrying somebody who loves Jesus. That was one of the things that I loved about Jenny and one of the things that drew to me. I knew that Jenny, if, if she's wrong, I knew the Lord's going to get a hold of her. Yeah, because she's a Christian. She loves the Lord, and she's sensitive to the Lord, and she wants to please Him. That's, her, that's her, you know, her walk and her life. So I know if I point things out to her, let her have some quiet time to let the Lord, let that thing sit, and the Lord's going to bring that about, bring about some change in her life. Yeah. So we don't point those things out, but we want to, you're looking like this. Okay, now change, right? Just let it sit and let the Lord do His work, Okay. Also, about uh, correcting people, you have to make sure you have the right motives. And this, this happens with some of our men. We have some men real zealous and love the Lord and want to, you know, want to do the Lord's work. But sometimes they're a little eager to, to rebuke. Are you looking forward to correcting somebody? And you're probably not lacking, you're probably lacking the proper motive, Right? Colossians 1.28, him, speaking of Christ, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. We want to see people grow. We want to see people sanctify. We want to see people overcome sin in their lives. But if we're real eager for, to make this thing happen, we're looking forward to bringing about correction and confronting someone. I, maybe your motives aren't pure. 
So we have to correct, but we correct with tact, okay? We don't treat everybody the same. Older men, older women, we treat differently. People that are our age, younger than us, we still we treat with equality and with tact, okay? Third point, lastly, impurity can derail your ministry. So be chaste in your dealings with your church. Notice, look at chapter 4, verse um, 16, the last verse, the verse right before this one. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Keep a close watch on yourself. That means your character, right, your conduct, and on the teaching, on doctrine, what you teach the church. And there's a real balance there. You know, don't be so engrossed in the work of teaching the flock that you neglect your own soul. But likewise, don't be so engrossed in your own needs that you neglect the role as pastor and teacher. But usually it's the, the former problem, right? Many pastors get so engrossed in doing ministry, they don't take care of their own soul care. And one way that we let our guard down and we get in trouble is in the area of purity. We've been instructed here by Paul, treat those we rebuke with tact, older men as fathers, older women as mothers, younger men as brothers. But pastor also to treat younger sisters well. How many of you uh, know a pastor or know a pastor or know of a pastor who's fallen into sin and was disqualified from the ministry because they didn't treat a sister in Christ with purity? Rhetorical question, but most of us would probably be able to raise our hands, right? Tommy Nelson of Denton Bible Church, he refers to the three E's in addressing this issue. The first one is enjoy. We often have, we have many relationships in the church that we enjoy. We have relationships with me as a pastor, relationships with sisters in the church. And we respect these relationships. We enjoy these relationships. We enjoy having conversations, sharing what we're learning doing ministry together, wonderful people, wonderful people, gentle, sweet folks, beautiful people. We enjoy these relationships. It's a delight for me to converse with you and do ministry together. And It's like this um, wonderful fellowship within the church body pastor and, and, and women in the church. There's even sparks there, right? Sparks meaning there's, you know, they're motivated by love of Christ. You see God doing a work in their lives. They're faithful. They're diligent. You see them growing in the Lord. Second E is entertain. But if you're not careful, what happens as leaders in the church you not only enjoy those relationships, but you begin to entertain thoughts of where that relationship could go. 2 Corinthians 10.5, Paul tells the Corinthian church, we destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. But... Sometimes that discipline is lacking. You entertain the notion of that relationship growing outside a healthy brother-sister-in-Christ relationship. Maybe added to that issue is the reality that things at home aren't really going so well. 
your wife hasn't complimented you in a, in a good little while, but the sister at church, they think you're the greatest thing on earth. And maybe it's not a relationship inside the church. Maybe it's in the office or at school. Or maybe it's at the fitness center. Or maybe it's a soccer mom or a mother at the ball field. And what happens is you entertain as you begin to share things with this person that are intimate. Maybe details of your own trouble. And you find yourself looking for opportunities to talk to that person because of the way it makes you feel. And maybe you give those hugs and you hug a little longer than you normally would otherwise. And that entertainment stage needs only a, an opportunity for you to move into the 30, and that's experience phase. When I, when I do marriage counseling, I, I always have um, the couple listen to a, some teaching, and, and Tom Nelson teaches through Song of Solomon. It's wonderful. Many of you have... have uh, heard that teaching, but Tom Nelson used an analogy of a fireplace, and we talked about sparks in relationships, and that happens all the time. It's natural. Have these relationships. I've been looking at all these ladies and just have these sweet, wonderful, healthy relationships that are, that are a joy to you, you know? But those sparks are meant to stay in the fireplace. Pastors, leaders in the church are kind of like obstetricians. Think about this for a second. It'll make sense in a second. They have a job to do, but they have to keep their emotions and thoughts in check. An obstetrician, a male obstetrician, he, he provides intimate care that takes discipline of thought to keep their relationship in the proper place. So it is with a pastor giving care. Because sometimes as pastors, a, a woman will share things with you. And it's not just, how's your week, how's things going, da 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 Not reporting information, but it's loaded with emotion because things aren't going well with the relationship or whatever. So you have to be disciplined and keep those things in, in check. So think about it. A fireplace is made of stone. And the grate is made of iron. And you have the pokers and all those things. You know, the little shovel and all, that's all made of iron. And what happens, the spark comes out and hits that stone, hits the grate, and what does it do? It, it burns out, and it, that's what happens. The spark stays within the fireplace. But what happens if the spark, it pops out, and it goes beyond the stone, and it hits on carpet? Now, that's dangerous. And that spark can hit that carpet and begin to burn. Enjoyment leads to entertainment, leads to experience. So what happens when you pass by a house that's burned down and it's a total loss? What's left? What's left of the house? It's always the fireplace. Always the fireplace. It's left. But everything else is rubble. See, the, the fireplace is made to contain the spark and allow those sparks to die. 
Think about it, that burned down house is a picture of an adulterer's life. They don't keep the sparks in the fireplace and things get out of hand and the result is destruction. How do we apply this? Let me ask you, how are your relationships going with your brothers and sisters in Christ? You keeping the spark in the fireplace? We, we all have to deal with this all the time. Taking your thoughts captive, thinking rightly about relationships. And we have to do certain things, don't we? We have to be wise, right? We don't ride, I don't, I don't do dinner. I don't do dinner with ladies in the church. Michael and I have a kind of an advantage. That's the one good thing about us working together. We first cousins. That's helpful. But we, there's certain things we do. There's certain things, and that's when I, when I ask you, ladies, hey, I got, I got a, a situation, a counseling situation, a, a, a sister in Christ needs some help. Would you meet with me and allow us to meet a time or two and then me hand them off to you? You know, there's things we try to do to keep ourselves pure. How are, how are you, how are those relationships going? You keeping the sparks in the fireplace? Have you moved from enjoyment to entertainment? Maybe it's not a, a, somebody in the church. Maybe it's somebody at work or somebody at the ball field or somebody at the fitness center or wherever. Maybe it's somebody online. You're sharing your, you know, grievances with about your own family or own life situation I'll encourage you if you haven't been taking your thoughts captive then we need to repent let's repent turn from that keep the sparks in the fireplace okay second thing you know we're a church and we're here to help one another walk the walk and that means we have to correct others one another, correct other people. We have to be corrected. Is that happening in your life? I mean, we're pretty messed up people. We're pretty self-absorbed, right? Yeah. And we don't get it right a lot of times. It's like the deal with the, the van. You know, I was just, I wasn't thinking, I hadn't thought through that. I was, thought I was, had this idea and plan, but no, actually that wasn't very wise. We need to be corrected. But are you putting yourself in a position to do that? Do you have relationships in your life with godly people who can speak into your life? That's why our church, we have small groups. That's why that's really, really important because you can get to know people better where people know what's going on in your life. And I'll say that. This is real, real, uh, as a preacher, um, I would encourage you to be involved and have people in your life. And the, and the church is set up in such a way to do that with small groups. On Wednesday night, we, have, we, we sit around the table and we eat dinner and we share our lives and we talk about things, right? But you, you need to have relationships where people can speak into your life and correct you, but also where you can correct other people. Because it's not just a, 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 a get situation. If you're a believer in Christ, you're gifted and you need to be able to give. So are, do you have those relationships in your life? If not, you should. If you say, hey, I, I need those relationships in my life, then I would love to help you find those. 
And, and when you do correct somebody, or if you have corrected somebody, did you do it tactfully? Did you treat the older man as a father figure, and the older woman as a mother figure? Those that are your age or younger, did you treat them with equality, or did you look down on them and hammer them? Lastly, one form of correcting one another, I think, is by sharing the gospel. You come to church, we, we share the gospel, and that's the way, I think, to correct someone. If you've never repented and believed, then I want to point out that you're a sinner, and you're on a, a one-way road to hell, separated from God. And he'll judge you. It was destined for man to die once and then to face the judgment. The only hope you have is to turn to Jesus who lived the life that you're supposed to live and he died the death that you should die. But unlike us, when he died, he was resurrected on the third day so that we could be made right with God. So I would encourage you, if you've never repented and trusted the work Christ did on the cross, that you would do that today. You would give your life to Jesus, begin to follow him, looking to give him glory with your life. Let's see if I can tie all this together, this chapter 4, chapter 5. There's a lot of practical wisdom here for everybody who are leaders in the church, for pastors, for small group leaders, but especially for a younger person given responsibility beyond their years. Think about Morgan. I'm, I'm, he, he preached that text last week. I'm so glad Morgan's here. It's a, a joy to work with him and watch him grow. But Morgan, I'll say if you watch your example, you know, becoming a model of Christ-likeness, if you submit to the authority of Scripture and draw all your teaching from the Word, if you exercise your gifts, giving evidence of God's call in your life, showing your progress, letting it be seen uh, that... Um, you're authentic, you're practicing what you preach, um, and you adjust your relationships, being sensitive, right, to people's age, to their, their sex, to using tact, humility, and purity, then, then other people's not going to despise you because you're, you're 22, you know. But they're going to gladly and gratefully receive all that you have to, to offer in regard to ministry. So I'm really excited that Morgan's here. I think the Lord had his hand on his life, and it's a joy for him to be here. And I see him growing and look forward to the day that we could uh, set him aside as pastor and put him in charge of even more that he's uh, doing now. But he's been faithful, and, and that's true of all of us. We need to be faithful with the, what the Lord's given us, what he's doing in our lives. And when we correct people, let's do so with, with tact. Looking forward to seeing what the Lord does with this. If we are a church, a healthy church, we're going to have people who are correcting, willing to correct and point things out. And it's hard. We don't like it. You know, we don't like being told that we're wrong, but we're wrong a lot. And we need to be equipped, ready to correct one another in love and also receive correction. And, you know, we do that in a myriad of ways. You don't have to have Kevin Boozer. I need to talk to you, brother. We need to have we need to have we need to set up an appointment because we got something we need to discuss. It don't need to be that. 
It might just be a, a text message or a little comment or, hey, how are things going there? been praying for you about that. Or I know there's a struggle going on that I can send scripture and encouragement. Hey, I'm praying for you about this issue. Sometimes that's enough in the gym. Sometimes that's enough just to give you a little, little, little gentle kick in the hiney. Yeah, it don't have to be this confrontation. And sometimes you got to have those. Sometimes you got to shut the door and we got to talk about it. Those are hard, but we have to do that. We just have to do it in a way that somebody can receive it. But I want you to be able to do the same with me because I'm going to need it because I have clay feet and I need to be corrected. But we, as a church, we have to be able to correct one another. If you're like, man, I haven't been corrected uh, you know, one-on-one in a long time. I haven't been... Um, I haven't actually done that in anyone's life. I haven't really pointed that out. Anywhere. Then you need to be more involved in what's going on. You need that. And the church needs it too. Okay? Come on up, praise team. We're going, I'm going to pray. Stand with me. We're going to sing this song, this uh, Reformation song. We're going to sing a verse of that, and we'll be dismissed. We've got a lot going on this week. If you have any questions about any of this, you're not sure how to go about doing some of this and how to apply that specifically to your life, we'd love to talk to you about that. If you're a lost person, you're saying, hey, I need to apply this text by just repenting and trusting Christ as my Lord and Savior. Love to talk to you about that as well. A lot going on this week. Um, uh, Wednesday is uh, see at the pole, and we have prayer time Wednesday night. We're just going to pray one, with one another and for one another. Thursday night, confidential care banquet. So a lot going on. I'll let you know today, uh, Lord willing, maybe this, towards this evening about um, Steve's mom's arrangements, and we'll set that in stone too as well. But be in prayer for for him and his family. Okay. Let's pray, and then we're going to sing. Father, we acknowledge your goodness. We're thankful for the word. We're thankful for uh, how it has done its work in us these last few months, showing us our sin and our inadequacies and how we're not like Jesus and how we need to do church. You've given us this blueprint for the church in 1 Timothy, and we're thankful for what you're teaching us. And, Father, we need to be tactful in correction, and we need to receive it rightly. So I pray that you'll do a work in each of us about this matter. And Father, I pray for Steve and his family and I ask that you would continue to comfort them and draw them to yourself and use this uh, use this time in his family's life to draw the lost to yourself and uh, pray for the, the arrangements and the funeral and all that it would give you glory. But we do ask for comfort for him, for his family. Father, Empower us to apply this text to our lives this week. Help us be humble and faithful. In Jesus' name.